0: Welcome along to the Go Play Soccer podcast with host Manchester United Academy coach Tom Statham. At Go Play, our aim is to bring people together from all across the world to discuss the beautiful game.
1: Tom Statham here and today on the Go Play Soccer podcast, we're talking with David Jones. Over 20 years ago, I was fortunate enough to coach David as a young player in the Academy at Manchester United. He went on to captain the Youth Cup winning team in 2003 and the following season made his first-team debut for Manchester United against Arsenal in the League Cup. For the next few years, David impressed in the reserve team at United and had a, a successful loan spells in the Championship and in the Eredivisie, which is the, the top league in Holland. But in order to gain regular first-team football, David had to leave Manchester United, but went on to make over 400 senior appearances uh, in the Premier in the Premier League and in the Championship, with more than 100 in the EPL. And joining me to chat with David about his career in football is an academy coach from the LA Galaxy, Samath El-Basith, and John Salvatore, who is a former coach at Yale University. So welcome, David, John and Sam, to the Go Play Soccer podcast.
0: Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for not butchering my name, Tom. You're
1: very welcome. You're welcome, Sam. So uh, we've got Sam in Los Angeles. We've got John in Connecticut and me and David are here in Cheshire in England. Now, just before this this podcast, I sent David a couple of photos from the late 90s, about 1997, 1998, of of both of us in team pictures, both looking a lot younger. David, I think you're about 11, 12 years old. So we were both having a good laugh about that. But what memories... Does that, those, those pictures stir up for you?
2: Brilliant, really. Um, you know, originally when I when I came to Manchester United, I wasn't even thinking I was going to sign there. Um, you know, I'd spent a lot of time in my last year of primary school, which is like 10 and 11 year old at Liverpool. And, um, you know, my, I knew Man United were interested, but they didn't really make too much of a big push to get me in. So um, I kind of just spent, a couple of months at Liverpool and they wanted to sign me and I was just you know deciding whether or not to do so and then I remember getting a letter from Dave Bushell who um was the you know obviously Mr Man United pretty much isn't he things. The time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um and so I went and went came into United I thought I'd have a you know I think it was a week in May towards the end of the season coming there and straight away you know meeting Dave um you know got he put me in the United kit made me feel you know special and and wanted and you know seeing the facilities at the cliff and Littleton Road and experiencing that and of course meeting yourself and and, and joining in training you know um I just thought this is a different level to to what I'd seen at I'd been to Liverpool Everton a few northwest clubs um so yeah um yeah, my, my decision to sign for United was, was very clear from then on. So seeing seeing those, you know, pictures of early memories and uh, of those first few years at the club were really special.
1: Yeah, and there's one picture with Sir Bobby Charlton's in there and uh, there's another picture that was taken before a game. We actually had an inter-squad game or intra-squad game on the pitch at Old Trafford before we played the first team played Newcastle. And we've got a picture there. There's obviously we're both on it, but there's Sir Alex Ferguson on it. And then some of the players in that group, um, Phil Bardsley and Alex Bruce um, and, and lots of other, there's Tommy Heaton on the other one as well, which is which is yeah. good to see. So, you know, some, some really good lads at that time. So in that group with those good players, what do you think were your particular strengths as a player, as a, as a very young player?
2: I always felt that I was quite a technical player, Um Always had a desire to practice, you know, skills and spend hours in the garden, really. Um, Probably influenced, you know, my dad used to, you know, play football to a reasonable amateur level and um, having an old, what I feel, um, you know, having an older brother makes a big difference to like your improvement as a youngster. Like you always, you know, my brother's age 10, I'm age six and you're playing against with his friends um, and it always pushes you up a level. You have to learn to adapt quickly. So, you know, spending hours and probably annoying my brother, joining in with him and his mates, I think that really pushed me on technically and physically, um, you know, and and a desire to, you know, f- you know, fit in and play at that level. So, So,
1: yeah. And you see that so often kids with older brothers uh, that that do well. It's it's a real common theme because you want to fit in. And and the other thing about you at that age, you know, you you're quite a, a quiet lad, very mild really in, in temperament. You didn't say much off the pitch, but you are you were a fierce competitor as a young kid. And I think that explains it a lot. If you are having to deal with those older boys as well,
2: yeah, of course, it's, it's a good point. And probably when I came to Man United, you know, I I, I grew up in between Wrexham and Chester, you know, just on the border of North Wales and you know a nice village you know pretty quiet and then suddenly I was thrust into some you know lads from Salford Phil Bardsley type character yeah. you know you know great guy Bard though but he was tough you, know, yeah, very- you know I mean so you know you know I I probably felt less advanced than them not as street wise you know they they toughened me up they you know, made me streetwise on the pitch. And I grew in confidence as the you know the years went on when I got to know the group more and more. So yeah, that was that was a real um you know kind of rude awakening for me to someone experience. like Jamie
1: Bagley as well. I remember Jamie Bagley yeah. is really competitive, Salford boy. So yeah. that that sort of environment there that you're coming into, no, yet you know, you've got that experience with your brother, so you're having to step up and, and perform against older kids, then you're coming into to, to play with lads like, like Bardsley and, and Bagley, that are uh, Salford lads streetwise. You know, these qualities, do you think they held you in good stead for the rest of your career and into professional football?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I believe these things shape you and, um, you know, I, I've got a real passion as I'm sort of stepping into almost some coaching roles of um, how important it is to dominate you 1v1 as a player. And sometimes I see with youngsters these days that a lot of sessions are to do with the structure of the team. And sometimes they forget the importance of dominating your one V one. So, you know, we used to do with training with you, we used to obviously work loads on technique, but also, it used to be about how you're going to use how you're going to use that technique in the game, game to beat your midfielder. That that battle against your midfielder. There used to be loads of sessions where I used to be up against Bagley or Bardo in midfield, and used to, have to you have to try and come out on top. And um, that's where I think I, I certainly learned the most in my early years. And hey David, great.
0: can I can I ask something? Uh, seeing as we're touching on your early days at United, um, when when you first went there what was the initial feeling that you got like inside stepping in, in into the gate of the facility or like when you first was there what was that feeling
2: it was a feeling of that this is a huge club that you almost felt privileged to you know um have an opportunity to play there you felt that although it was a huge club it had a homely feel where you mattered as even an 11-year-old. You know, you've got, you, you're you playing on, as Tom mentioned, that photo where we're playing on Old Trafford, you've got Alex Ferguson in the picture. You know, managers don't come and take photographs with 11-year-olds just before the game, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, although, you know, obviously the manager's got his own team to worry about, you still felt at different periods throughout your um you know years at united 11 12 13 the manager always had his eye on he he pop into training he'd, you'd see him around and he always had an interest so you always felt a part of something and i think that was just just a massive part of um the feeling at the club and how you know you get players into the first team and that, that real feel of a togetherness at the club
1: uh, definitely there was a uh, that element of it's a privilege to work there cuz I I started in 94. So these pictures are, are sort of four or five years into my time at Manchester United. And I was taught from a very early age that at uh, my time there, that, that it was an honour and a privilege to be at Manchester United. And it's really interesting to hear that that sort of passed down to the to the kids in the academy as well. So there's that immense pride of wearing the badge and the standards that we had to uphold you know, and being the best at everything when you were wearing that badge. Um, and, and also something that, we were chatting just before the podcast with, with Sam in Los Angeles as well. He was talking about at the LA Galaxy, the, the academy staff's quite small. And he was talking as if that, that's a real disadvantage because at United, we've got now in the academy such a big staff, big medical staff, big coaching staff, and lots of support. It was back in those late 90s, then it, it was probably in single figures, the number of staff that were involved. And, and that was a big plus because – We all did lots of different jobs and we all knew each other so well. And there was that, that pool of information was so tight. And I think that really helped me um, to learn and and possibly you're getting that now, Sam, as well, being part of a tight knit group.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, And what we were talking about before is um, one of the many benefits is being able to work with different age groups, being able to work with different coaches and like you say, there's like a tight pool of information so, so yeah i agree
1: now just going back to to you again david you mentioned your dad earlier and again one of the major characteristics i remember about you was your competitive nature and and you your left foot your good technique uh but i, I also remember the fact that your mum and dad were was so supportive and and really in a way that was in the background quiet but they were there and and if you needed them they supported you. And most of the time you didn't need them. So they just left you alone. How can you you describe, you know, from your point of view, that, that level of support you got from the parents?
2: Yeah. It's just, um, as a kid growing up, you just know that they're fully supportive. You know, they'd be, they'd be taking me to Manchester in rush hour from North Wales, you know, oh. th- twice, three times a week. Uh, the commitment was there. um, yeah, and I'm just really thankful that the standards that they 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 set for me and brought me up in a way that um, you know obviously um, helped me to have a, a decent career and um, yeah I just I just think that's so so important for you know all young players to have that support network whether it's from parents or anyone else or a coach or you know as a coach now uh, well Transitioning to maybe a coach role for me, I'm I'm thinking about how important um, it is to to um, everything you say to kids because I remember things that you said to me. You know, so if if you're telling me things almost like 25 years ago and I'm still remembering them, I've got to remember that in my position, if it's going to be a coaching role, um, how important and how poignant these moments can be when you have an opportunity to work with young players.
1: Yeah that's great and so just just touching on that you you've done your UA for B or you're just completing your UA for B aren't you and you and you're, you're not officially retired yet david
2: is that true not officially because you know I, I still feel very fit um and it would be a, you know I, I it just seems like a waste of uh, experience and fitness to 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 say that i i want to retire from playing because i still really enjoy it um but it's just whether or not the opportunities come so you know, I'm open to things that come my way. Uh, I'm staying fit every day, but um, yeah, I've got one eye and a big interest in, you know, following in your guys' footsteps, learning from you guys, because um, it's completely different as of as I've noticed in in my uh, small you know experience of coaching to be able to transfer that knowledge and be able to uh, um, you know teach kids or teach players. Um, and create that environment as well for for young players to learn.
1: Because now you're going from being the, the player where everything's done for you, where you just have to concentrate on your own performance. Yeah, You're now going into that area where you've got to plan everything, you've got to be prepared, you've got to be organised, and you've got to be thinking about 10, 15, 20 other people ahead of yourself.
2: Exactly. And it's such a selfish existence as a as a player, Um you know, I've just only thought about myself and going mentioning my parents as well. They they've from my career been so supportive and done everything for me so I can perform on the pitch. You know, that that suddenly, you know, that that's uh that's kind of they knew that, that I needed that to be selfish. My brother, my sister, my wife, you know, they all make sacrifices, uh, so then I can perform on the pitch. And um now, when I'm, you know, putting on a session, all that preparation, you've got to remember as well. It's not about you as the coach, Aoife, is it? You know, my mentality has always been about my performance. So, you know, in a few sessions when I'm thinking about my performance, I'm missing the whole point here about how I'm. Uh, it's not about me anymore. Um, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's so like I think children. John wants to come in. It's, like,
3: it's like having children, right? As soon as you have children, you're like, wait, it's not about me anymore. <laughs> so, David, um, you're touching on. Uh, playing from the time that you played to to now, you're transitioning a little bit into some coaching or have your eye on coaching, and you're starting to work with some players. What are some major um, similarities or differences you're seeing in the characteristics or the personalities of the players from when you were coming into the game at that 11, 12, 13 years old to what you're seeing now? Are you seeing any differences? Are you seeing some similarities?
2: I'm seeing that I feel that when I was a young lad a lot of coaching could be directive so you know actually giving you clear instruction to do that so whether or not you you know to beat your man to dominate your 1v1 giving you clear options about what you need to do you need to run away run away to come short or you know you need to play back play one touch back and then spin off or look over your shoulder and turn, actually directing you to give you that information. Just sometimes I notice that obviously you need to let players explore um, and be able to find out for themselves. Um, but I've just felt that, you know, a lot of players these days, um, I think maybe take uh, don't take the directive approach as as well as maybe we used to when we were growing up. So they maybe don't respond to it or... You know, I don't want to say that it's it's a softer approach now, but um, it just seems like players maybe uh, change the the culture's changed. You have to be aware of that. Um, so yeah. as you're talking there, David, I'm
1: thinking that of Eric Harrison, and you said about the playing back on one touch, and yeah. you must have played so many of those games when Eric was involved in in the, obviously at the under-18 level, but then when he stopped being the under-18 coach, he worked with the 14s, 15s, 16s. So was he involved with you at that age? And if he was, that get what you just said there here, that game where as a center midfield player, if you didn't play back first touch, you had to turn and go forward.
2: Yeah, exactly. And um, those were the messages constantly throughout the Academy at Man United um think look play forward. So um and we used to at 14, Eric Harrison down at Salford City, we just play line ball for like an hour and a half. We do some shuttles first, where you're absolutely dead, <laughs> yeah. um, and then you play line ball for an hour and a half. And if you're not turning and playing forward or looking over your shoulder, he'd stop it and he'd be telling you, "You're not, you're not doing it. What, what, what did you, you know, you you didn't do that or, or this or that." And I remember playing a game once, and um, it was a inter squad game, and we were playing against uh, some players that were a couple of years older, David Fox and Neil Wood. And they were in midfield, and I think it was me and Brucey in midfield, and they gave us an absolute lesson on one-twos. They were one-two us for fun, getting rounders, and it was you know, it was embarrassing, really. Um, and I remember Eric Harrison pulling me off to the side and you know, telling me about how to stop a one-two. Tell you what, like there's not many people who've twoed me since. Exactly. <laughs> so
1: you 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 what did he say, follow the man, not the ball?
2: Yeah get your body in, block him, yeah, block do whatever him. it takes, you know, get your arm up. You know, I think I'm not, I wouldn't class myself as a, as a dirty player, but I've, I've picked a fair few bookings for blockages I'm on one too. So, um, yeah.
1: And that, that, but that's really interesting because that, that approach, and I, I was fortunate enough to work alongside Eric for a long time in, in at that time. And, you know, now, On this podcast, I talk about how the importance of working with young players and connecting with them at that level and and being a bit silly at times and making them laugh and making it enjoyable. But there's definitely that balance between doing that and creating that that safe culture and getting them to trust you and getting them to feel relaxed and the approach that that Eric had that's more formal, possibly more traditional, more, more command style sort of coaching. When you're setting the standards there and you're giving that information and and with Eric, there was no ambiguity at all. This is the way it had to be done. And you did it that way. And the brilliant thing about him was he was right all the time. And if you did it that way, then it worked.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. And there's a balance at times, especially with the way that society in culture's moving, there, there is a balance. You know, it can't have every coach doing that. Exactly,
1: yeah, exactly. And I think that sometimes when I talk about, oh, you've got to tell jokes to the kids, you got to have fun. It's not like that all the time. Mm. That That's a baseline of, of getting trust and, and yeah. connecting with the kids so that when you, ca- when you need to, you can be stern and you can be strict. And I know this is something I've mentioned before. Eric used to say to all of those young coaches, 90-10. So 90% of the time, Eric tried to praise and tried to reassure and be supportive because the 10% of the time, like when he took you to the side and explained that it wasn't good enough that you get him beaten on the on the one twos, then that was the 10% of the time when he could be critical, when he could be harsh because he got the 90% in where you knew he was on your side. So that's that's a great example of, of that style. So Sam, did you want to come in from Los Angeles?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, David, you mentioned about um learning a lesson playing against players, you know, who are what uh, playing one twos around you in that in training. Um in in your career, has there been a player where you've just had such a tough time where you're like, I don't know what to do here, whether to get tight, whether to drop off? Has there been a player where you just don't know what to do um that you're playing up against? And
2: and and why was that if so? Yeah. Great question. Um, there's been a lot of good players that have played against, you know, top level in the Premier League, um, and they've provided different challenges at different times. I remember going on tour with the first team at United, um, coming on against Bayern Munich, and Balak was playing, um, and I just his strength, you know, he, you know, he wasn't the most agile player, but he just used to get his body in, and I couldn't get couldn't get near him really in terms of getting the ball. Um, that was probably a physicality thing um, probably the one who makes you think the most he varies it up when I talk about dominating 1v1 I, I trained I trained with him, trained against him as well and also um, played a few games against him probably, I'd have to say Paul Scholes. Um the variation in his game the disguise he uses the change of tempo um, the little little golden nuggets of information that he can, that he uses to be able to dominate you Um, just makes you think constantly. So it doesn't, he's not predictable. So yeah, that, that, you know, midfielders need to be unpredictable. You talk about being unpredictable as wingers and attackers, but midfielders need to vary their game all the time. And he was the master of that.
0: Paul Scholes is one of my favourite all time players. So you? So you mentioned little golden nuggets. So any specifics?
2: Um, yeah, little specifics. Yeah, disguise of nearly If you ever watch Col- um pretty much whenever he receives the ball in a tight area, always you know throw the leg up as if he's going to kick it and stop the ball. So then you stop, you know, and then he'll go and then check, you know. He, he for sure. I've seen him in training that. He'll he'll play it. Look to run. Look at your head as you swivel your head, and then check back. And then he's five ten yards away. He receives the ball again. So it, so it's these you know he'll, he'll suck you in, suck you in, suck you in. Play. Go around the corner. Check the other way, and then he'll just bop it off one touch for a few minutes. You know, settle it back down, and then boom again. Change your tempo. So he's always varying it all the time. So you know, and then he'll he'll be able to slot players in holes. And then he'll go long. So defenders always have to, you know, they can't push up because as soon as he's got time on the ball, they need to get their shoulders turned because he's playing in behind. He's got all these connections with players on the pitch. And you, um, you know, he made very clear signals as well. So although he's disguised, I found in training, you kind of, you could read what he was going to do at times because of you trained with him, you knew what what, what signal he wanted. So it was all about these connections on the pitch. And, you know, probably like, whenever that question is asked probably to loads of players who played with Scoles, they probably say he's the best player they played because he always had that connection with them, whatever position they were on the pitch.
1: That's great. That's great insight. And, and that we're talking now about sort of 2003, 2004, when you just signed professionally and you were training all the time with, with players like Paul Scholes and Ryan Giggs and, and these legends of Manchester United and legends of English football. But, just rewind slightly before that, because in 2003, the end of that 2002 two three season, you were the captain of the Manchester United, Manchester United youth team that won the Youth Cup. Now, the Youth Cup is legendary in, in all clubs' histories, but particularly Manchester United. And so how did it feel being the captain lifting that trophy?
2: Like I said, when I joined the club, just one of you know, such pride and to be a part of the history of the club, you know, it's a very small part, but but still a part of it. Um, Yeah, it's felt special. But, you know, although there was United from when I joined as a young boy to lifting the Youth Cup, you know, there's a big deal made of the Youth Cup, but, you know, there isn't a big, you know, celebration or anything like that, is there, you know, at Man United. It's kind of just an expected thing that success is what, it's just the is just the the result of all the hard work and all the things behind the scenes so and then it then it's on to the next thing but what else can we do you know you'll get a well done from the manager but that's about it be okay what are we doing tomorrow you're gonna step it up reserves first team how are you gonna get to the first team it's just another step but yeah it, it was a special moment there's no no denying that
1: well what after winning the youth cup what what next for you david you got your pro contract but then you wanted to move out of your digs Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah,
2: well, at United, I'd heard, you know, throughout the years that whenever you want to move out of digs, then you had to ask permission of the manager. And, um, you know, I kind of thought, yeah, that that might still exist maybe, but it wasn't really top of my agenda to do. So I'd gone through the process. It was, you know, just turned pro, bought a house, had an offer accepted, exchanged contracts, so I was legally obliged to buy the house. And then I just thought I'll ask the manager towards the end of the season. I thought, I'm a good lad. You know, there'll be no problem with that. He's not going to think I'm going to be a problem. But anyway, I heard from our manager, uh, under-19s manager, um, uh, Brian McClare, that he said, oh, the manager knows that you've uh, bought a house. And I was thinking, how does he know that? And, you know, as Tom will know that, Everybody always says that Alex Ferguson knows everything about all his players. Regardless he's got of, his
1: informants. Yeah, he's, he's got, got his, his informants and
2: spies around Manchester. But, you know, I'm thinking, I, was, I, don't know if he, I haven't even told anybody. I didn't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how he found out. But So I went and knocked on his door. I knew that he knew, but I didn't let on that I knew he knew. <laughs> yeah. so I was just going to ask him. And he, he, just, he just played it cool and said, no, nah, I think it's best you stay another year knowing full well that I'd already exchanged contracts on this house. <laughs> so, um, so I just thought, what am I going to do about this? Um, spoke to them, spoke to Chocky again, Brian McClare. He said, you're going to have to go in and just be honest. So knocked on his door again the next day in there was, a, it was like a board meeting or something. There was like uh, Bobby Charlton, David Gill, the chief exec. And he, he said, "What do you want to see me about?" I said, "About my house." And then he just he just laid into me in front of everybody and just said, <laughs> come back. "He said, I want to see you tomorrow morning first thing before I get in. I want you waiting at my office door." So, <laughs> so that happened um, in early, and he, he, the mood had dropped. You know, he'd um, well, he, he he was a bit more jovial about it. He wasn't it wasn't as strict and as um, as as uh, angry as he was the day before. But he said, you know. I'll let you move out, but you've got to show me that you can learn to cook. So he said, I want you once a week to be in the kitchen with the chef and I want you to cook a meal, but um, it's got to be a, a Scottish recipe. So for the next month <laughs> or so, I had to I had to learn how to cook these, this, these Scottish uh, dishes.
1: Fantastic. That's brilliant. But he couldn't have been that displeased with you because shortly after that, you, he gave you your first team debut against Arsenal in the League Cup. So that must have been a a really proud moment for you.
2: Yeah, it was. In such a big game as well, Arsenal, I think it was in the Cup, uh, the League Cup. And uh, yeah, we were winning. And I actually came on, I think it was in a defensive corner, which is very unusual really to make a sub when you're defending a corner. So, um, and the ball, you know, the ball comes swinging in and I'm at the far post and it's going to land on my head and I've got someone challenging me at the far post and I just about did enough to get it out. Um, but yeah, it was a really special full house at Old Trafford, you know, doesn't get any better than that.
1: Wow. That's, that's fantastic. And you know, things, things didn't go exactly as you, you'd wanted. I'm sure you'd like more of those experiences, but you went out on loan, uh, you went to Preston North End, you went to Derby County on loan and you went to, to Holland as well to NEC in, in Holland. What did you learn from your time there with NEC? Um,
2: yeah different style of football it was very you know in the championship in my first six months of the season I was at Preston and it was really you know intense really aggressive you know 15 years ago in the championship it was a lot more physical and you know I definitely learned so much from that um, from the manager and then went yeah to Holland it was so technical um, and I just had a lot of freedom they just kind of you know, I don't think anybody really said anything to me, any instructions, um, you know, for, for six months. I think they just asked me if I wanted to take penalties. I said, yeah. And the team <laughs> told me in Dutch. Um, I just got on with it and uh, just really enjoyed. They just kind of said, just express yourself. Yeah, did, just left me to it. So it was a really, really good time. You know, I played in more of an attacking role, scored goals. Um, Really, really good league for um, young players to develop, as you probably, you'll see loads of, you know dutch players and you know loads of big stars have come through the dutch league and uh, gone on to you know bigger bigger clubs but um yeah it was it was really special I'll probably question some of the um, professionalism wasn't as high i remember half time my goalie having a cigarette in the toilet in the changing <laughs> wow. but um yeah apart from that it was uh, it, it I sounds, learned a
1: lot it sounds an amazing experience and then you put that together with your time at Preston with Billy Davis, the, the Scottish manager, and then it was in January 2007, Billy Davis had moved on to Derby County and yeah. he paid over well, around about a million pounds to take you from Manchester United on a permanent basis to Derby. Yeah. So you must have been pleased that you were then going to join someone that, that knew you and knew your style of football and knew how you wanted to play.
2: Yeah, Billy Davis um, really had belief in me, and he really gave me a chance uh, to step up from reserve team football. I'd, I'd had a taste in the first team for a couple of years, a few appearances and stuff like that, and been around and trained in it, and and been on loan. But he really, yeah, you know, he he, he had a real good energy about him, and made you feel a million dollars. You know, he had great faith, great faith in me um and I learned a lot on how to make that transition from maybe youth and reserve team football to to men's football where obviously the result is the most important thing and uh he taught me so many good habits so with him you know especially I've really fond memories and really really grateful that he gave me an opportunity as a young player
1: and you got promoted that season
2: as well Yeah that was a it was a really good season uh the club Derby County uh, um, really nice club, enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, when went up unexpectedly, really, um, uh, went through the playoffs. Um, so we weren't expected to go up, but it was a season that the manager really built a good team spirit um, and players that worked hard. And uh, if you've got that minimum requirement of that, then uh, you've got a good chance.
1: And then from the high of winning at Wembley in the playoff final, getting promoted to the Premier League, Things didn't start so well for you in the Premier League. And then I think Billy Davis was then sacked.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was a big shock, really, because it was still early on. Uh, it seemed like there was a lot going on at the club in the background. Um, yeah. It wasn't it considering we, the such positive energy from the previous season, uh, that feeling wasn't there even from the word go in pre season. And through, at the time, I wasn't aware of this, but through my experiences in football, looking back, you know these things have a big impact on the way that the team uh, operates and plays and the success of the team. Um, so yeah, it felt a really disjointed club from what it was the previous season, and um, just really disappointing to have, you know, such a poor season in the Premier League for the for the club as a whole, really.
1: And Paul Jules was the manager that took over, and I don't think that that he particularly wanted you in his team as much as Billy Davis did.
2: No, he didn't, and this is just what happens in football you know I was really happy the previous season uh derby really enjoying my time making a lot of appearances and obviously the promotion and then a new manager comes in and you know for whatever reason he just uh doesn't doesn't rate you or or isn't in in, in your plan is isn't his his plans for how he wants to take the team so um that's just yeah, just uh, the unfortunate nature of uh, of football, really. But but yeah, still I still had a good relationship with him. Um, but yeah, it was time at the end of the season. It was time for me to move on.
1: Yeah, and you you went on to Wolves. So it was another million pound transfer. You went to Wolves, and they were in the the Championship. Derby got relegated back to the Championship. So you you're in the same league as Derby again. But Wolves got promoted. So it was another promotion for you back to the Premier League.
2: Yeah, Wolves another good club. Um, Again, uh, Mick McCarthy was really good manager. I'd probably class him as like re- as a type of style of manager, really authentic, really ethical kind of leadership. And um, you could really buy into that and really get on board with it. And we had some good, good players, but he generated another good team spirit. And um, yeah, it was another special year to be able to get another promotion, you know, my second in, in, in three years.
1: Fantastic. And guys, any any uh questions at the moment from Connecticut or Los Angeles as we're going through David's exciting career?
3: Yeah, I Dave, I, I you know, w- what an what an exciting um uh fruitful career you had. What what is the most memorable moment you had, you know, either on the pitch or off the pitch that just will resonate with you forever? That's a
2: good question. Uh, Great question. Um, I think that first promotion at Wembley in the playoffs um, was such a special moment. Um, You know, a full house at Wembley. um, It's, you know, rated as one of the most expensive games in football, the rewards uh, for the clubs involved. So that moment of being at Wembley, and, and winning the playoff um, final, uh, probably have to say that that was a special moment, celebrating with the Derby fans, seeing how much it meant to them. Um, yeah, you know, and having having all your family there, it's one of those games that, you, you know, I've been promoted, you know, a few times, but you've only got your kind of immediate family maybe in the stands at those kind of games because it's not one pivotal moment like a playoff final. So, you know, I probably I can't remember how many tickets I had, but you probably had about fifty people you you knew there. You know, family and friends. So those kind of things just add to it, and you know, you, you see them in the hotel after. So it's all that that celebrating that night, that whole
3: moment, yeah, yeah the whole, whole experience. Moment. The whole experience was just impactful. Wow.
1: So you you went from Mick Mick McCarthy at Wolves, I think was uh, Martinez your manager. At Wigan, when you went to Wigan in 2011, what was it like working with Roberto Martinez?
2: Really enjoyable, actually. I learned so much from him, like tactically. Um, as a coach, he was just a superb coach on how to, you know, you know how to um, do sessions where you're working on shape, patterns of play, rotations in the midfield, and you not even know that you're doing tactical work. That's, you know, that's probably why I would say is, you know, great coaching to be able to have an enjoyable session. But you're not doing so much of the structure of stop, stand still, those kind of things. That as a player, you know, you have to do that at times because you you definitely have to do it. You need to know the structure and you need to know your, your position. But he was such a good coach of being able to do the tactical work within a session. Um, so it was really enjoyable time and. You know, luckily I jotted down a few of those sessions at the time. You know, ten years ago, so uh, so I've still got those notes uh, for me to you know carry on and hopefully replicate those sessions in the future.
1: Yeah, when you look back, all the influences that you've had, you know, throughout this, you've, you've worked with some fantastic managers, and like you said, you'd be be crazy not to take elements of everyone, um, you know, to to your future coaching career. So, you know, you said so you're doing UA for B, hopefully. That assessment, which I believe is next week, goes really well. You go into UA for A. And and then where would you like that to take you? What what are your ambitions in the game?
2: Um, well, I want to get a rounded education, really. Um, I know coaching badges are part of part of the the learning and part of uh, the qualifications of what you need to be a coach, but you know, I, I want to be patient, and I want to gain all the experience I can. Chat to all different coaches. You know, we've got you know three very experienced coaches on here now. That you know, I, I should, I want to be tapping into your knowledge and how to do things in your experience. Um, I'm also doing a degree course in sporting directorship, um, so that gives me that kind of element, that education of how to be a leader, how to run maybe a football club. Um, the business side of football as well, uh, so that's another element, as well as doing some, you know, media work as well. So I'm trying to get a rounded um, education and everything, um, and seeing where my passion lies. Because as a footballer, I've been so lucky that, you know, the passion's taken care of in your job. You know, you don't, you don't even call, you don't, you know, I don't even like calling it a job. It's just what you enjoy from such a young boy. At, whatever age you are going into a professional football club and the passion was just there for me it was it's part of my identity which you know can be a, can be a bad thing actually <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um but as long as you're aware of that then then you you're, you're okay I think so um so yeah I think that's
1: a great attitude though to say you just want to sample so many different things and let's say in in five years time you might be a manager of a professional football team somewhere. But if you've spent six months working with nine and 10 year olds, you will learn lessons from that that will stand you in good stead, even if you're working with with top professionals. So I think that attitude of just trying to sample different things, media work, the fact that you're doing a degree, you know, really shows myself and, and all the listeners out there that you're someone that's serious about this and that you, you're you trying to get the right level of experience to be successful. Yeah,
2: that's what I'm trying. And um yeah there's no guarantees with anything uh, that anything will work out in terms of that. But um, as long as I've always been somebody that wants to, wants to learn. Uh, Hopefully you noticed that as even a young boy that um, I always ask questions. I always, you know, try to ask questions, try and, try and learn. I'm not somebody who gets things straight away. I don't think. You know, if we're thinking back in school and how I learn, even with football skills, you know, probably first two sessions, if you show me something, I'm probably not quite there, but I'll go home, work at it hour after hour until I've got it. And then it's imprinted in me. That's how I learn. So, you know, that's why I want to be patient with all my different learning, gain some experience, talk to guys like yourselves and um, use your knowledge, um, because I've got the experience of being a player, but... As we all know, that's completely different to the next stage of career. Uh, but I'm excited that's... to learn.
1: So, David, Sam, do you think uh, that oh, Los sorry. Angeles Galaxy might might use someone that's got all this experience and this great attitude and, you know, th- th- <laughs> they might be interested in David to, to come out to L.A.?
0: Um... I can't speak for the club, but
1: uh,
3: you know, I,
0: David's, D- David's always I'm not healthy. being serious, I'm like not being serious I know, I know, I know, I know. But, Is there but, a hiring
3: freeze? Uh, what um,
0: I was going to say is David is always welcome to come out to LA for a coffee or a beer or a spinach <laughs> smoothie, whatever you're into, mate um, But no, just just touching on what you were saying, uh, David, I think you know it's testament to you in terms of your mentality that you want to learn. Um, I, I'm currently now at the club. I'm working with some of the coaches in the academy who have just come out of playing. Um, so our full 14s coach right now is Janinho, who he, he had a lot of success with the club. He won a few MLS titles and whatnot. And he's just transitioned from, from playing right into coaching. So I've, I work closely with him every day. Um, and we have a lot of these kind of discussions and um yeah I think it's important that you try and understand yourself and it seems like you're on that journey because you know you've mentioned you know you're trying to figure out what your passion is right I think I I think the big thing is um yeah just figuring out kind of in this next stage what gets you excited to wake up out out of bed every morning you know um and it's only going to be you that figures that out um but it seems like you want to do that you know uh, so no, that's that's brilliant.
1: Well, and at the moment, I know you're doing some work with with Burnley as well with their academy. Um, and in 2013, you signed for Burnley. Sean Dyche signed, you, and you had some good years there. Again, another promotion, um, getting Burnley, and you played for Burnley in the Premier League. So Sean Dyche must be someone that that you really got to know and and uh, helped you as a player, and now is trying to help you as a coach too.
2: Yeah. Um, nothing but great things to say about uh, the manager Sean Dyche. Um firstly as a player like a lot of good habits that he taught me you know I joined the club at I think I was 28 um, but some of the learning I learned especially defensive responsibilities and, and how how to you know build a culture and and, and and the team spirit, um, yeah, it's been second to none. It was, you know, really, really insightful, you know, uh, learning from from a guy like that. Um, and, yeah, um, just, yeah, now my coaching at Burnley, um, it's a great, great club, great people to, you know, to be a part of that. And, um, yeah, I've got really fond memories of my, of my time playing there.
1: And you got someone like Sean Dykes that's working at a club uh, that is lower on resources. So you have to get everything out of it. So things like team spirit, getting that group together and and the organisation, like you say, defensive responsibilities, all these characteristics are so important to get the absolute maximum out of the players. But those are sort of similar qualities that, that Alex Ferguson had as well, but he's working at the other end. So, you know, the, the, I think Sean Dyson and Alex Ferguson are, are similar in many ways, but but then they the contrast in many ways. Would you agree?
2: yeah i totally agree actually i wouldn't yeah um very similar principles um even the principles of play um obviously the resources and um where the aims and uh, ambitions of the club are different but yeah the, you know um they do share a lot of the same qualities and that's probably why it was a good good fit for me um to be able to you know join burnley and why why i really enjoyed it because those kind of values and those principles of play kind of underpinned, um, you know, the the whole ethos at the club. And um, yeah, it was. I think that they they do share a lot of the same similarities in the way that they handle players as well. That, that, I think that's uh, you know very key as well. And
1: I think again, it permeates all the way through the club because when Sir Alex was in charge at United, his influence was felt in the lower age groups where I was. And I get the feeling with Sean Dice it's the same at Burnley because whenever I go to Burnley, whenever we have interaction at the, at the foundation phase with the Burnley guys, then there's that very similar feel. It feels like we're on the same wavelength with each other, the way that we go about our work, the way that we treat the kids and the way that we want football to be. So I think that influence from the top is seen throughout the club.
2: Yeah, um, his, his stamp and personality is all over the club um you know all over the training ground you see that on all the all the signs there um i think it says legs hearts and minds you know just um that's one of these uh, mantras and um yeah it it filters down throughout the whole club so what he's done has been really special in you know in a small town burnley and um i think yeah um that's why i was just so comfortable there and really enjoyed it
1: and Maybe it informs you as well as you get into coaching that there there is a great deal of importance placed on what happens on the field, on the training field. You talked about Roberto Martinez, how influential he was, Eric Harrison, the sort of things that he was doing when you were a young player. But also it's not it's not just good enough it's not good enough just to be someone that's good on the training field if you're going to be a top manager and run a club like Sean Dyche is doing with Burnley like Sir Alex did at Manchester United you have to have the people skills you have to be able to connect and lead you have to show leadership qualities so yeah. that everyone follows you
2: as well yeah and um yeah as you'll know that you know leadership qualities differ different to being a coach um I'd say that he's just a fantastic leader you know he's very aware he's um very self-aware um and I'd, I'd call him very authentic and ethical. and but it but he's his, his I his um his leadership style it's, it's it is a construct he's constructed it himself so he's very emotionally intelligent so you won't get you know emotional reactions from him too often He's very passionate, but it always feels like it's, it's it feels like it is authentic um, from himself, and he is being himself. But he's got so he's got that emotional intelligence and control um, that I just think it's very clever and very well thought out, very well rehearsed, and yeah, very intelligent managerial um, skills from him. And um, you know, for example when when we used to come in at half time obviously that sometimes can be very emotional time whether it's ranting and raving i've seen it from loads of managers you know he'd always go into his little office for five five six minutes let the you know would not come in straight away let the players settle down get all their things sorted get that, gather their thoughts have chats within themselves um, maybe compose himself and have a chat with his uh, you know staff about the messages that they want to send out, because it was very, it was very, very consistent, and you were there was never mixed messages. The clarity in his communication was spot on. So, although you know he you, you would give you, you know, he'd give the Alex Ferguson hairdryer treatment when when appropriate. It, you, you didn't feel you felt it was it was um, not an emotional response to that though, where it was where he'd later regret it. It would be. It'd be something that was, you know, premeditated or or thought out into the. That's what the moment needed. So, yeah, very intelligent guy.
0: Well, well, I just wanted to touch on that emotional intelligence that you mentioned. Um, how do you think he got to that stage? Is it just through experience? Um, has he done certain things in his life? Like, how do you think he got to that?
2: I, I don't. I've never really asked him. It's one of these conversations that. I feel I could probably have with him when I've actually officially finished playing. Um, then he might, you know, let me let me have this insight, perhaps. Uh, so yeah, it's something to ask him. But for my own, you know, personal journey of this emotional intelligence, like self awareness is key, isn't it? Um, if you're aware of what is, we all have triggers and what's, you know, what what makes us emotional, and if you're aware of that. Then you have some sort of control over it. So I think self-awareness is key. Oh, a massive thing that I, you know, haven't said is that with players, he used to get them to do personality um, uh, tests or you know uh, um, profile profiling. Yes, you know, psychometric profiling and things. Um, so then he would he would know you know what. What makes you tick? What 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 you are as a character? These kind of things, and we do it periodically throughout the year as well, at different times, because you know all these psychometric profiling tools are always based upon your own emotional state at that time throughout the season. So you could be playing well at the time, and then you're you're like this. So he would he would know. It's just a very clever way in which to gain some insight into what's going on in a player's head, really. And it wasn't it wasn't forced upon you, but there was a culture there of trust so players would do it openly he wasn't telling you to do it but we had a sports psychologist there and it would be offered to us and nobody really had an issue with it so so in terms of that he was aware of his players but if he if he's getting his players to do that you know he's probably been doing that for years and being very self aware so that's one step to being a good leader is very you know being self aware i think yeah,
1: I think from listening to you, David, it's it's pretty clear why Sean Dice is is such
3: a, a good and successful manager. John, any last thoughts? Just a comment. Um, first and foremost, Tom, thank you for inviting me. It's really a, it's a pleasure to meet you, Sam and and David. Thank you. This was this was a joy for me. This this made my day. Thank you, David. I just want to share that the thing that really radiates. Um, from you to me is, is your humility is just really powerful. And I, I want to thank you for that because for someone who's, 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 who's succeeded in the game as a player, um, and now transitioning into other parts of your life, I, I really could see how you, uh, you have this sense of, of humility about you. And, and I don't know if it was the game that did that, or if that's you inside or it's a combination of both or your family. Uh, it's, it's really powerful. And, and I really feel that you, you, You've got so much you know, so much more to, you know, offer to everybody in the game than to pass that on and pass that through. I hope I get a chance um to meet you in person and, and and uh I'm hopeful to bring bring some players over to England to play. And I hope uh the players that we do bring over uh would have a chance to meet you and and have a chance to kind of feel some of that humility and 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 some of that greatness that you have. So thank you.
2: No, that's that's very to, you know amazing to hear really um, no but I just feel very lucky and privileged to uh, to be able to have had a career and you know football it, it's still opinion and perception from and and being at the right place at the right time you know so you can't be too you know I, I've had four promotions to the Premier League but it's you know I've been lucky that I've been part of good teams and managers there wasn't there were, you know I wasn't sat there with 10, 15 options and weighed them up and, and you know, and, and then picked them, picked it really logically. You know, if you're lucky at any time, you've got one or two potential options, like to maybe transfer. So, you know, you've got to be aware of that as well. That it's there's a lot of luck involved, I think. You know, I I I I I feel like I have, you know, I I am I'd have practiced, I've I've worked hard. But there is an element of like just being in the right place at the right time and being around, you know, good good people.
3: Um, so that believed in you or or took a chance on you or exactly. believed in you. Yeah. And yeah. and and it seems like there's going to be a, a a period you're going to do the same. You know.
2: Well, I, I I'll try to. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. I know, about, don't screw
1: it up, David. Don't screw it up
3: for <laughs> if the next. If, kid, we're okay?
1: talk, <laughs> if we're talking about lucky, then I definitely think that that we've been lucky. know, to speak to you, David, to get the insight into your career, the people that you've worked with, um, you know, it's just been fantastic. And I hope people listening to the Go Play Soccer podcast will appreciate that as well. So thank you so much, David, for your time and your insight. It's been absolutely magnificent. Thank you in Los Angeles to Sam and in Connecticut to John. Hope you've enjoyed it. And we will see you the next time on the Go Play Soccer podcast. Thanks a lot, fellas.
0: Thank you very much. Take care. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you have a question or comment for us, or if you'd like to take part in one of our podcasts, please email podcast at goplaysoccer.com.